Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. A great welcome to all of you. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say the words together by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship today is an adaptation of a poem by Birago Ismail Diop, a Senegalese vet- veterinarian, diplomat, poet, and storyteller whose work revived interest in African folk tales. He died in 1989, and many of you will recognize his words in the song Breaths by the African-American women's singing group Sweet Honey in the Rock. This is his poem. Listen more often to things than to beings. Listen more closely to things than to beings. It's the ancestor's breath when the fire's voice is heard. It's the ancestor's breath and the voice of the waters. Those who have died have never, never left. The dead are not under the earth. They are in the rustling trees. They are in the groaning woods. They are in the crying grass. They are in the moaning rocks. The dead are not under the earth. Those who have died have never, never left. The dead have a pact with the living. They are in the woman's breast. They are in the wailing child. They are with us in their homes. They are with us in this crowd. The dead have a pact with the living. The dead are not under the earth. Come, let us worship together as we remember and celebrate all the souls and all the saints who are here with us today in this great cloud of witnesses. Some people inquire what can hold a congregation together when there's no creed that is recited every Sunday, when there's no list of beliefs that must be held. One of the things that holds this community together is its mission, which guides us as we move into our future. We wrote it ourselves, we wrote it on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. And the Western European world is called All Saints Day. It is a day when it is the practice of the people to draw their dead close around them. It is also a day in Mexican culture, and I'm sorry that I will uh, butcher the pronunciation of Dia de los Muertos, and um, also celebration and remembering the dead with, with respect and with joy. During this meditation, I want us to take this chance to recognize our dead and invite them to be close 
around us if we care to. If you don't feel like inviting them, but just want to call their names, that is fine as well. I invite you to call their names out loud. Our timpanist, our percussionist is going to drum, a heartbeat drum. These people are part of us, and they are part of our lives, whether biological or chosen family, and we miss them. And as we close, I will say a litany with you. Um, the refrain of the litany is, you are with me. And so you can join me in that when it's time. And so now, let us take a moment to be quiet in our hearts and call our beloved dead by saying their name. Today, I bring to mind you I have loved. You are with me. Your face is before me, your voice in my ears. You are with me. I want you to know how grateful I am for all that you gave me. You are with me. And I want you to know that I miss you still. You are are with me. The love we shared still echoes in my chest. You are with me. And I share it with each smile I give, each helping hand I offer. You are with me. Though you are gone from me, you will never leave my heart. You are with me. You are now invited to light candles of joy and sorrow hope, and remembrance. Our reading this morning is a poem by Henry Van Dyke, an American author, statesman, Presbyterian clergyman, and professor of English literature at Princeton University. He died in 1933. The title of this poem is A Parable of Immortality. I am standing upon the seashore. A ship at my side spreads her white sails to the morning breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She is an object of beauty and strength, and I stand and watch until at last she hangs like a speck of white cloud just where the sea and sky come down to mingle with each other. Then someone at my side says, There she goes. Gone where? Gone from my sight, that is all. She is just as large in mast and hull and spar as she was when she left my side and just as able to bear her load of living freight to the place of destination. Her diminished size is in me, not in her. And just as at the moment when someone at my side says, there she goes, there are other eyes watching her coming and other voices ready to take up the glad shout, here she comes. One of the best things about being a minister is being with numbers of people. 
in the last hours of their lives. You wouldn't think that would be wonderful, but it is. One member of a congregation I served lay dying, and he said, I don't know how to do this. He was uh, retired, elderly, quite elderly. Uh, he, had, he was a scientist. He had been mean, mean to his wife, to his grown kids, to the people in the congregation. And I was surprised and honored at the openness of his question, his comment. I don't either, I said. I've sat by a number of people while they were dying. It looks like you just go farther and farther away and your body shuts itself down. Maybe it's like falling asleep. You've done that plenty of times, right? He was fighting, kicking at death as he had kicked at life. One thing I've noticed over the years is that people die very much in the same way that they live. When you have a dramatic life, your death is likely to be dramatic as well. This is completely unscientific and only my own observation. If you're a person who doesn't like to cause any trouble, you will likely just slip away when no one is watching. Some people want to be surrounded by family and friends. Some would rather be quiet and kind of left alone. Others would like to be sung to or read to. There are people now who talk about themselves as midwives of death, and they talk to a person about how they would like to be ushered out, and that is their ministry. One man who was well-loved in another congregation that I served long ago and far away died in the hospital, and his nurse that night happened also to be a member. And so he took his last breath with his wife holding one hand and the nurse, Greg, holding the other hand and me holding onto his feet, just talking quietly together. My mother died at home. She had been sick for five years. And she wanted to be home when she died. She had um, not admitted that she was dying until the very, very end. We had made a pallet next to the couch where she was lying. And I was spending the night there lying next to the couch on the floor. Sometimes when she called out, I would say, I'm right here, Mama. And she would say, um, just a minute, I'll be right there. As if she had gone far away and was coming back. One gardener in a, in a congregation I served said he hoped that he would last as long as his legs. And he didn't want to really outlive his legs. And so he was 92. And he came to church in a chair and he, he just had the greatest way of talking. He, he was a union organizer, so a complete brave person who had come to the South from Chicago in the 30s to organize the textile workers and uh, had worked in politics for many years and then decided he would rather just work with plants. 
I had brought him some rosemary to smell, and he he took a deep breath of the rosemary, and he said, ah, oh, rosemary, it really pulls its weight. <laughs> he said, I thought I'd like to make it to 95, but I'm 92 now, and I'm in a chair, so 95 doesn't look so good anymore. My great-grandfather, the preacher who had been at his same church for 54 years, he, uh, the one who retired after his 80th birthday, I think I've told you all this story, he preached the sermon and then he said, oh, this is how he sounded, I think, because this is how his son sounded when he preached, I don't believe that, um, that anyone should preach when they are 80 years old. And so today is my last day. I'm retiring today. Brother Matthew, will you have the prayer? He pointed to someone in the congregation, and everyone bowed their head, and he walked down the aisle and out of the building. (laughs) No muss, no fuss. When he died, he was dying at home, of course, because that was that time. The windows were open, the family was gathered on the porch, and they heard him say, Isaiah? I'm James Hurst Presley from Statesville, North Carolina. Pleased to meet you. Jeremiah, James Hurst Presley from Statesville, North Carolina. Pleased to meet you. And then he died. People know that death is a threshold time. The end of life is a threshold time, meaning it's a It's a time when um, things can change more easily than they ordinarily can. You know, when someone says to you something on their deathbed, those words have weight. And so I want you to think about what you might want to say to the people who are around you, if you can speak at that time. And if not, have them written down. And somebody can go, here are his last words. Families can reconcile during this time, or they can break apart. You all have had both experiences. Often, emotionally wrenching decisions have been made. The family has to decide, now that medicine is so skilled, the family has to decide how long they want medicine to keep you alive, if you've been fortunate enough to live uh, until you're very old, or until you've been sick for a long time. You, you have to figure out how much treatment you want for how much time. And you have to think about what the quality of your life will be like during that time. Do you want chemo that will give you two more months, uh, but you're going to be sick as a dog during those months? Or do you want no chemo? Or do you want to just take a gamble and, and hope that it will give you more time than that? And everybody in the family is going to have an opinion. And even families where they have all decided together that they're not going to take extraordinary measures to resuscitate you if you go naturally, things change at the last moment. And usually there's a member of the family who blows into the hospital room and says, do everything, just do everything you can. And it takes cohesiveness and strength in the family to say, but we decided not to. It's 
hugely emotionally wrenching. And it's best not to make these decisions when you're torn apart by grief, if you can. I'm suggesting you make them early. Not in your teens, probably. (laughs) But it doesn't hurt to think about it. Some people's thoughts as they were in their last days are mostly of the people they are leaving behind. People worry, will they be able to do okay without me? Wives especially worry about husbands that way. They think, he doesn't know everything I do. He doesn't know that most of the reason he's okay is because of me. He's not going to be okay without me. And husbands worry about their wives that way too. Some people get to the point of dying and they have regrets that they haven't fixed. If they're fixable, if you have regrets which are fixable, it is good to fix them before you're dying. Does that make sense? That way you can just concentrate on being surrounded by love rather than being racked with grief and regret. Sometimes people don't understand that they're dying and they have um, a culture of fight this, fight this all around them. People say, you're fighting this, you're fighting this. A friend of mine got a brain tumor and everybody was like, you're going to fight it, you're going to fight it. I was like, man, that stinks. This is awful. He's like, yeah, you're the only person that says that. Everybody else is like, you're going to fight it, you're going to fight it. And he fought it for a little while, but it's it was a big bad one. Talking to somebody about the fact that they're dying is often the minister's job. You have to sit by them and hold their hand and say, what would you like for your memorial service? And it's often a relief for people to say, thank you. Everybody else is like, we're going to fight this, we're going to fight this. So I want to ask you, what would you like for your memorial service? You're not dying, by the way. Music like this. Ooh. Dancing sounds good. I like this participation. What else? Champagne. If I die during this time of year, I want costumes. Really, so I have a file in my office with a form that I can send you because even though you've called it out, I'm not going to remember it from this morning. (laughs) If by any chance you die uh, before I do. And so um, you can email me and I'll send you the form and we can work on it together if you want to. And just in case I die before you do, hmm, I want mine to open with Skylark. You know that really sad song? Because I want people weeping. <laughs> I don't want all this happy celebration of life thing, although that's part, that's part, that, that'll be for the reception. And um, so Skylark at the beginning. 
blue skies at the end. Nothing but blue skies from now on. So I'm asking you to think about these things and talk about them with your family. I'm asking you to fix your regrets if you can. I'm asking you to think about something scary because we're brave and we can do this. Will you please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire, sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.